Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians 2. And the last time we were in Ephesians 1, and the Apostle Paul pretty much laid down the foundation uh, for some very heavy teachings that were going to come afterwards. He wanted the Ephesians to know. He wants us to know. The Holy Spirit, God, is outside of time, knowing that even though he wrote to the Ephesian church all those years ago, it's also applicable to us today. What does God want us to know? Our riches in Christ. This way, when we go through Ephesians 2, 3, 4, all the way to the end of the letter, we can live these things out. We're asked to do some things supernaturally that we can't do in the flesh, that only being in the Spirit we can do these things. It's a, it's a tough book. It's a tough teaching. Uh, but it's, it's definitely something that will grow and, and increase our, our, our walk and maturity in the Lord. And so Ephesians 2, I'm only going to cover the first 10 verses this morning, and we're going to see some of the more difficult teachings as we go through the book. Now, before we do that, what I want to do is kind of talk to you a little bit about what we do in American culture and then bring it back to what the Apostle Paul is going to do. You know, we've all seen before and after pictures, right? Usually it's uh, weight loss or something like that. I I'm convinced that people push their bellies out for the before picture so it looks more dramatic at the after picture. That I'm not going to put up on the slide. But I do want to put up two before and after pictures because in American culture we rejoice when somebody does well, they feel better, they get healed. Um, and I just found just two random pictures off the internet. And this woman on top had Bell's palsy. And here you can see that she's been healed. She's been, and we rejoice. We, we love that. And this is in the physical realm, obviously. And here's a girl who had a serious leg deformity. And over here, the after picture, you know, her posture is different. She's, you know, does well. And, and we love that. I'm going to submit to you that the Apostle Paul is going to teach us, and he's going to walk us through before and after pictures spiritually. What does it mean to be dead to God? And then what does it mean to be alive to God? So we're going to look through this. Some may find it fascinating as we walk through it, and some, I have to say, might be offended. Because people are very defensive about their spirituality, but if we say we have our own relationship with God, is it according to God's Word? What's the sense in us all, you know, when we have a relationship with a spouse or a child or somebody, if we do it and it's totally in a self-centered fashion, what good is it? How does the other person feel about it? So we're going to cover just ten verses this morning. And we're going to just look at two parts, how we are dead to God and then how we are alive to God. So let's check it out in verse 1. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, this is very interesting right off the bat because really he made alive is italicized. When I went into my Greek Bible, that does not exist in the original language. So what's, what's the issue with the translators? Uh, well, it's contextually accurate. As we get through the second part, we'll see that it's perfectly accurate. And maybe they did it for more explanation. Maybe they did it to soften the blow. Because really, it starts out like this, right? The Apostle Paul is speaking to believers. He says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. That doesn't start out real touchy-feely fuzzy, right? So we're going to start with that. He goes, in which you once walked, A, 
according to the course of this world. B, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, that's Satan. C, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And D, were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Wow. So this is the dead-to-God condition. Anyone who has not been born again of the Spirit of God is in this category. We, we had a lot of fun last Sunday. We threw, interjected a lot of humor into it. Now we're hitting the ground running. We're talking about deep theological issues that affect us, all of us. We are either alive to God in this room or we're dead to God. Right? We have to be born again of the Spirit. The part of us, the trichotomous nature body, mind, spirit, the spirit part is the part that goes all the way into eternity. It's the uniqueness that God has put into us. Genesis 2, God said to Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of the fruit, the day that you disobey, the day that you sin, you will die. And they sinned, and they were still alive. And they might have thought, wow, the serpent was right. God did lie to us. We're not dead. My heart is still beating. I could still feel things and smell and see. And Adam, you still look handsome. And Eve, you still look beautiful. But the day that they ate of the fruit, they died spiritually. See, that's the thing. You can't use your body as an indicator of where you are spiritually because it's separate from your spirit. You guys know that if you've been a Christian long enough and your body can crave something that's not good for you, but your spirit is saying no, and you can fight with yourself because you're in pieces, but you're one. All right? So Adam and Eve died first spiritually, which they didn't necessarily feel, and then they died physically. And that death and that sin has been passed on to, unfortunately, all of us. And as the saying goes, if Adam and Eve didn't do it, I would have done it, or you would have done it. It's just the way it is. 1 Timothy 5, 6, the Apostle Paul speaking about some widows said that she who lives in indulgence is dead while she lives. Makes no sense to the common person. But if you're born of the Spirit of God, it makes perfect sense to indulge, to, to continue to indulge. You feel alive. You're, you might even get an adrenaline rush from that indulgence. You know, you might get dopamine high and all that stuff that happens in the brain. But she's dead while she lives. Spiritual death is separation from God. The inability to please or to reach God by our own means. The inability to pay the sin penalty that we've all incurred since the day we were born. Romans 3.23 says, All, not some, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Now here's the good news. But the gift of God is, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Today, billions, millions and billions of people on the planet are, well, the walking dead. And the word for dead, when it talks about the spiritual condition, is necros. There's thanatos, there's necros, there's all the words. But necros is where we get in the English word necrotic. It's flesh that rots. It just starts to decay, and it starts to putrefy, and it starts to just go down into, into nothingness, in a sense. It, it rots. You know, today, people are... When I, when I was younger, it, everybody was into vampires, right? Today, everybody's into this, the walking dead and zombies, and somebody's going to say, well, what did Pastor Joe teach about this morning? Oh, zombies. 
do me a favor, can you give them some context when you, when you respond like that? But, you know, you see the zombie movies and they're, they can't communicate, they're lumbering and body parts are falling off and their clothes are tattered and parts of their skull and there's blood. It's, it's horrific scene, brains, whatever they're doing, right? We don't realize that if we're dead to God, that's really what we look like spiritually. See, blood and flesh and tissue, the part that makes our body, covers to each other our spiritual condition. But if we're not alive to God, if we're not born again of, her, of, of His Spirit, then we are the dead. We're the walking dead, though we think we live. It's pretty scary stuff, isn't it? There's good news. I'm going to get to that. The Apostle Paul gives bodily, he gives um, a body or detail of the dead condition. He says a few things. Number one, you used to walk, A, according to the course of this world. This is where the world is going. Look at the G20 meetings. Look at the world leaders who get together and the things that they discuss. Look at the world banking system. Look at the people that really, the small percentage that control the world. These people are poised against God. There's no concern about God. This is it. Building their wealth, building their power bases. Okay? Psalm 2 tells us that. The people running the world are poised against God. And they certainly, Psalm 2, don't want his son to come back, his anointed, to take ownership of this creation. They're going to fight that like mad. And we're going to see these battles later on that actually happen on our planet in this eschatological um, scene. B. He says that we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom we all conducted ourselves. You see, Satan helped Adam and Eve sin, and God gave Adam the creation. He gave it to him and his wife to tend the, the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over it. But when they sinned and they fell, they forfeited that creation back to Satan. Right? It's, a, it's a, a marred and cursed world that we live in. I just look at the prayer list. Look at any church in the prayer list. Just go through your life. There's pitfalls everywhere. This is a sinful world. This is not God's ideal. It's because of sin. Now, it's very interesting in Matthew 4 that Satan, when Jesus was tempted before he really kicked off his ministry, Satan came to him. And in Matthew 4, it says, he showed Jesus in a moment all the kingdoms of the world, all the cities, all the gold, all the splendor. And, you know, Jesus is the rightful heir, owner to this world. But he had to go to the cross first to redeem us so that we could all be with him. There's things that the Lord had to do. It was pretty detailed. However, Satan tried to give Jesus a shortcut and says, if you just bow down and worship me, all these things will be yours. You realize that some people say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yes, he could give it to Jesus at that point of time, of course, the Lord wasn't going to worship Satan. He goes, you know, get, get out of here, Satan. Be gone. Um, it's not the way, it's not what I came here for. And if, if Jesus would have taken the shortcut then and not taken the cross, it would have been dire for us because our sins wouldn't have been paid for. So when we aren't born again of the Spirit, we don't realize. And again, some of this, again, it's insulting. It's offensive to the natural person because you know, look, there's a lot of good deeds out there. There's a lot of religions. How can you say this? First of all, I didn't say it. I believe it. God wrote it, and uh, it, it's confirmed in many portions of Scripture. That's why I'm throwing a lot of Scripture references at you to back it up, okay? We're rebellious by nature. 
See, we conducted ourselves in the, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling all of our carnal desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, the mind, usually the word in the Greek is suke, where we get the word psychology from. However, this word is dianoia in the Greek, which means literally deep thought. It means literally that it, this runs through our minds before we're believers, how we can fulfill the lusts of our flesh. I'm hungry, I want to eat. I want to be excited, so I do things to get adrenaline. I, um, I'm frisky, so I want to have sex. You know, I'm tired, so I want to sleep. I want to be comfortable, so I want to buy that. I want to have that. And this is all we do when we're not thinking about God, when we're not born again of the Spirit. All we think about is what pleases and fits and helps the body all day long. No, it can't be. No, it is, because this is what the Scripture says. I tell you, half my life I lived as a heathen, and I, you don't need me to confirm it because it's God's Word, but I'm going to tell you from experience, and I look back. Back then, if you would have told me that, I would have been assaulted. Now, knowing what I know now, I look back and realize, man, I read this. This, this was definitely me. Right? We don't want to believe it. I have my own relationship with God. Okay, is it according to what He desires? And also... D, we were by nature children of wrath. In a fallen state, we can't please God. Religions can't help us to get to God. Um, and we may be sincere, but we're sincerely wrong. You know, I also think of the, uh, if, you, if we're all on a boat and we're, we have different levels of swimming abilities and the, the dock is 200 yards away and the one person swims 50 yards and the other one 100 yards and then they sink, and I, I'm good. I'm a good swimmer. I get to 197 yards, and I can touch the dock, almost, and I sink. I'm just as dead as everybody else. And that's the truth. All have sinned and fallen shorty, short of God's glory, of his perfection. That's why we need to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, you know, some would say, well, what about all the charities? What about the good works? They're good, but they don't get us to heaven. Isaiah 64, 6 that says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. As filthy rags. It can't help us. Now, the Apostle Paul's letter was no doubt offensive to the Ephesians, and certainly it would be offensive to people today, and some in the church as well. We're under God's wrath before we're born again of the Spirit. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and you listen to the radio and you start, I still have these lyrics in my head when a song comes on, I just know the lyrics and you're laughing, you know, it's, it's weird, it's a weird thing, you're driving, you hear this for hours. And I remember a, a Van Halen song, Running with the Devil. And that song, it was so upbeat and it was so, it, it kind of glorified this kind of idea. But it's, it's a lie and Satan is a liar. And Satan's going to make himself look pleasing and nice. What's so scary about the devil? The Rolling Stones did a song called Sympathy for the Devil, right? You listen to the song, it's got a good beat, and, and the lyrics just start to permeate your mind. Remember, I'm, I'm 70s and 80s, so I'm just kind of going by what I know when I was growing up. So bear with me on this one. But who is the devil? He's a liar, he's a destroyer, he's an accuser, he's a manipulator. He's a blinder, he's a killer, and he's a hard taskmaster. He will convince you that his way is good, it's pleasing. God is a stuffy old, bearded, white-haired guy in heaven who doesn't want you to have any fun. Follow me. 
I will make you happy. I will give you money, success, power, whatever you want. And then when he gets you to that point, he pops your bubble. He ruins your life for you. He ruins your relationships. He ruins your judgment. For those of you that were here uh, last night, movie night, when we saw the song, the, the song you know, it was a picture of a guy who was so successful and the success kind of ruined him. It was a lot more to the movie, but you, you get the, the, the point here. And now this, what I just read, shouldn't describe anybody who's born again of the Spirit. Let's, let's continue. Verse 4. But God. Very important phrase. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He says this twice. Verse 6, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Talk about an awesome before and after picture. This is night and day. It starts with the word but, which is a disassociative conjunction. It connects the two uh, blocks of scripture, but it, it, it takes away from the first one because it's nothing like the first one. Even the grammar in the Greek is brilliant. It's a masterpiece. This was not written by a man. This was written by the Holy Spirit who, you know, it's kind of funny because we read some scripture and it even says the prophets wrote stuff down that God told them to write. They didn't even know what they were writing. None of it made sense to them, especially Revelation. <laughs> stuff that, that John penned in Revelation is coming to pass in our day that couldn't have remotely been possible not even a hundred years ago. But... This, this, it's, it's a masterpiece. Two, alive to God after spiritual regeneration, or in other words, being born again of the Spirit. And Pastor Joe, how does that happen? Bear with me. <laughs> I'm going to get to that's the good part. But this is the amazing contrast. Two words, but God. But God changes everything. I'm lonely, but God. I'm the black sheep of my family, but God. I've really made a mess of my life, but God. See, that's the remedy to everything, but God. We could stop there, but there's a whole lot more to talk about here. And that's the beauty. God is the center of everything. He's the fixer of all the mess-ups in our life. And the biggest mess-up is our sin. He fixes that. He's awesome. He's the great restorer. He is rich in mercy. He's the God God's great love, and with that great love, he showed it to us by what took place on the cross. We are hopelessly lost eternally without God's intervention to change our spiritual condition. So let's look at this contrast now of the new life. Remember, while we were still unable to please God, dead in our trespasses and sin, and we're going to talk about how we get there, but A, he made us alive spiritually, even when we were God's enemies. Now, this is bizarre, to say the least. In Romans 5.10, it says that we were enemies with God. When we were still in sin, when we were still thumbing our nose at God, shaking our fist at Him, that's when He sent, the, the worst time in history, He sent His Son to die for our sins. 
We, we're not nice in our sinful state. We're not nice because we're naturally in rebellion of God. We took our heart, our brain, our tissue, our intellect, and we just said, God, we don't need you. We're, millions of people on this earth are going and running around doing things horizontally, not even considering looking up. We just took everything that God has and we're doing it on our own. So when we were still enemies with God, and we were when we're not born again, he made us alive spiritually. B, he brought us together with Christ. Ephesians 5, I don't want to spoiler alert here, I don't want to ruin it, but Ephesians 5 does this masterful job of comparing an awesome marriage relationship with Jesus and the church collectively. We are collectively his bride. We're going to get to that. It's good stuff. C, it's by God's grace that we are saved. And there's a difference between mercy and grace with respect to salvation. Mercy is not punishing us for what we deserve. We've sinned against God, so we have to pay the price. We can't go to heaven and, and mess up his heaven like we've messed up the earth. Um, and God, we can't, we, without our sin being dealt with, we can't live with God eternally. So he's merciful, the cross, you know, he, he's paid for our sins. But without grace, we're in limbo. What do we do now? Okay, so our sins are paid for and... So the, grace has to follow mercy. Grace is something that we get in a, in a positive way. It's unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. But God gives it to us. And that's what happens at the cross. D, we are seated in heavenly places. We have a physical position on this earth. We're all standing here, sitting here on planet earth. However, we have a position in the heavenlies. Hebrews 4.16 is amazing. It says we can boldly come to the throne of grace. Wow. You know, people are into wormholes and string theory and all these really far-out scientific theories of other dimensions. Well, God does it. You don't need wormholes and string theories. Basically, you just turn towards God and you go to pray and He's right there. You've been jettisoned. You've been ushered into His throne room where He hears you. And he, we don't always like the way he answers us. I'll give you that. But we, we're, let me finish the verse here. We boldly come to his throne of grace to find mercy and find uh, grace and help in time of need. That's always available to us as born-again believers. You know, it could be 3 in the morning. It could be 6 in the morning, 11 o'clock at night. He's always there. E. In the ages to come, he shows his riches. Now, we talked about this in the first chapter. Remember, the Ephesian Christians saw the wealth and splendor. I showed some slides last Sunday of Ephesus, which is still around 2,000 years later, amazingly. Uh, some of the buildings are still partially, some of them are demolished, but some of them look really good. 2,000 years later, amazing architect. The amphitheater looks gorgeous. If you didn't, weren't here last Sunday, you know, put it in your search engine, Ephes Ephesus Amphitheater. Um, the technology was amazing, and the Ephesian Christians were in this place with all these riches, but they were living as spiritual paupers. So sad. So he kept talking, almost a play, a play on words, the Apostle Paul, of riches, God's riches. Ephesus who? After you're blessed with all the riches that God can give you, why are you still pining away for the world? Sin only causes heartache in our life, and at the end, if we're not covered under the blood we have to face judgment. It's true. I'll give you another song that I remember from the 80s. <laughs> Billy Joel, Only the Good Die Young. What did he say? 
I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. I really hope that's not his soteriology. I really hope that's not what he relies on to get him into the next life. I have news for you. Nobody's going to be laughing in hell. Some people think that Satan will laugh because he finally got us where he wanted us. No, Satan's going to be in the lake of fire too. He's not going to be laughing either. There will be no more laughter heard in the lake of fire. You've got these dumb songs that brainwash us with false theology. This is why we need to be in our, words because, in our word because we get dirty from the world. We need to get cleaned. Otherwise, we're just filthy spiritually constantly from the traffic and the noise of the world. You know, we don't say, well, read your Bible. You have to read your Bible. You have to pray. As believers, we would want to do that. I don't want to be defiled from the world and stay in that state. You know, we got to have some place to run. Verse 6, he says, God raised us up, and then being in the heavenly places comes afterward. There's a, a resurrection experience here. You know, Lazarus had a physical resurrection experience. Lazarus, come forth. After four days, he was raised from the dead. But you know, Lazarus died again physically. But I believe that Lazarus was a believer, so he got resurrected twice. Once in the body and once spiritually. John 5.24, Jesus says, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment, but crosses over from death unto life. That's amazing. It's not something we deserve. Let me read for, uh, 8 and 9 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So here's the nuts and bolts of how we even saved. How does this work out? How does this make any sense? He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is almost a zoom in of what we read a few verses earlier in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. This kind of pulls out, it pops. You know, you, you get more detail here. This is important. Sometimes when we are believers from, for a while, and, and you see this, believers now start arguing about doctrine. So I'm going to cover some of the things that you might hear, um, but understand this. The, the whys are much more important than the whats. Why did this happen? Because God loves us. If we take nothing else today, God saved us because he loved us. So we can't comprehend it. Why did he love us? We were sinners. Why? Yeah, I don't understand that. Am I sinful? That's God. Nobody can match his love. So the whys are more important than the whats. But let's talk about the whats. The main point is God saved us by his grace, motivated by his love. And this is important. We can't take any credit for it, and we can't work our way to salvation. Right? We can't earn it. We can't pay it back. It's not a lease with an option to buy. It's not traded on the stock market. It's a free gift. And we have no part in God's free gift. If somebody was to hand you a, a, a family heirloom that they couldn't even um, calculate the value of, and they handed it to you, and you took out your wallet and your credit card, and even you gave them a few hundred dollars, that person would be grievously insulted because it would be a gift that they're giving you. They think that much of you that they gave you that priceless gift. God has given us the gift of salvation. 
Oh, I'll pay you back. No, 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 it doesn't work like that. Where do good works fit in? I'm going to tell you that, too. <laughs> We're going to make sure I cover that. That's why we only are doing ten verses this morning. I can almost see the Apostle Paul, um, you know, the Christians in Ephesus, he's writing this letter. Maybe they got a little prideful. Maybe, you know, again, but through the Holy Spirit, there was a, a motivation then and there's a motivation now. Saying to them and saying to us, listen, Salvation has nothing remotely connected to your abilities, your intellect, or your intrinsic characteristics. Nothing. Let me make that perfectly clear. So let's look at the wording. The first grouping, not of yourselves, not of works. I believe the word in Greek is ergon, where we get that word erg, which is a unit of, of, of work. So it's very interesting how a lot of English words, etymology, comes from the Greek. But deeds, effort, it's not possible. That's not how we get salvation. And it's not of ourselves and not of the things we do. Let me just, he's just making sure he makes that clear to us. Religions will tell you that you can work towards your salvation or maintain your salvation. It's not true according to the scripture. And he says, lest anyone should boast. That completely prohibits, negates, boasting, bragging, taking credit. So three different words meaning the same thing. We, we covered that one. Two, our salvation has every, everything to do with God giving us a gift. And three, grace is the nuts and bolts of salvation. Salvation is by grace. It's by God's grace. That's how we get it. And four, grace through faith, through dia in the Greek, grace is through faith. So we understand these terms. Salvation, grace, and faith. Faith, what is faith? It's the vehicle, it's the conduit, it's the channel, it's the tunnel, whatever you want to say. It's the thing that connects, right? As we, as we have faith, we receive God's gift of salvation uh, motivated by God's grace and his love. How do we get faith? Romans 12.3 says God gives every man, woman, a measure of faith. Faith can be grown, it can be exercised. In a spiritual sense, almost like the body can be, muscles can be exercised in a, in a physical sense. Faith is a belief, a reliance, a trust. And it's something that you can exercise this morning as you hear the word of God. Now let me just, um, let me just go through kind of maybe the chronology of it. So if we take all the scripture together, number one, drawing. There's a word drawing in the scripture, but also courting. I like to say that. It's like a, almost like a, a platonic romantic thing where God courts us because he loves us. Jesus said the Father draws us, John 6.44. Jesus said in John 12.32, 12, um, 12, he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, meaning the picture of the crucifixion, I will draw all people to myself. Two, hand in hand with that is direct spiritual stimulation by God in the form of what you're hearing this morning. As you're reading God's word with me, Romans 10, 17, it says it's regenerative. You read the word and you can either fall asleep, <laughs> you can respond to it, or you can resist it and be angry in your seats. And that happens too. It, it has some type of effect on you. You're either going to resist its power or you're going to say, you know, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm really digging God's word. I've never heard it before. I've never heard it preached. Right? So it's regenerative, preaching, um, the word, uh, visions. In countries like Iran and on the missions field where 
where Christianity is not allowed, Bibles and such, um, Muslims and atheists, and they're, they're dreaming and having visions of Jesus Christ, looking for somebody who knows anything about Jesus because it's so powerful. God's drawing them. He's, he's stimulating them. See, God is the initiator of the love relationship, and we are the responders. That's how it works. Now, our responsibility is to respond in faith and trust. And again, that's a choice that we can make. We can reject him or we can accept him. Having faith doesn't give us any credit. It's not a work. It's a lot of things. Part of it is a gift. Part of it is an exercise of our free will. Part of it is a trust. I'll give you a real-life example. These things are really heavy, these speakers. So by my, me standing under here, maybe picking one of these things up and hitting it, moving it side to side, I'm exhibiting faith right now in the guys who put that up. I don't even really know those guys. Well, I hope they did a good job. But you know what? You're exhibiting faith right now, too. There's a lot of lights up here and over there, and, you know, these things are all heavy. Everybody's going to start now moving out to the sides. <laughs> so we are all exhibiting up in the balcony. If we put another 20 of you in there, would it still not bow or anything like that? I don't know. But we are exhibiting some uh, amount of faith in engineers, mathematicians, guys who turn... Uh, look at How long are you going to stare at that? You like that? <laughs> We're trusting. We're trusting our safety. And people use the seed example. We're trusting in a lot of things. We're trusting that God knew what he was doing when he started the earth spinning on its axis, that it doesn't spin too fast and we fly and, and slam against the wall right now. A lot of things are happening right now that we're trusting in, we're, we have faith in. So faith, it's, it's a real live example. The Lord even marveled, check this out, at the faith of a Gentile in Matthew 8.10. So God has a part of our faith, but we also can do something with it. Again, Jesus marveled at the faith of a Gentile. Wow, this guy's got some amount of faith. This is where you come in this morning, especially if you don't currently have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There are dozens of examples of God's overtures of his love towards us. In Deuteronomy 30, in the Old Testament, he said to the children of Israel, did I give you things that were too hard for you? You can do these things. I'm asking you to do them, do them. If you do these things and you follow my precept and my laws and if you love me and, and worship me, then your crops are going to grow, things are going to be good, your enemies will be subdued. But if you don't, then the crops may not grow and your enemies may come in and I'm not going to protect you anymore. And God has the right to, to demand those things. It's an if-then. It's a, it's a conditional statement. Isaiah 55, to come. Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me. Right? Come, choose, continue, if-then. These are all in the scripture. We respond to God. God is so powerful that even Jesus' voice in Luke 7 and Luke 8, when he, the little girl died, he, you know, the little girl heard a lot of voices. But it wasn't, you know, they went in the ear but didn't do anything. But when Jesus said, Talathakumi, little girl, I say to you, arise, she got up. You know, Lazarus, probably a lot of voice waves went into his ears. Maybe he heard some muffled things outside, but he was dead. However, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus came forth. We respond to God's voice. What about you this morning? God wants you to come out of that old condition, that dead condition, and bring you into his marvelous light. 
And he'll do it through preaching. He'll do it through the Word. He'll do it through maybe your relatives and friends talking to you about this over and over again. Verse 10. I read that again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For, or because, we are his workmanship. The word in Greek is poema, where we get the word poem from. We are a work of art to God. We are his masterpiece. Isn't that amazing? I remember, you know, God can do amazing things with minerals and rocks and dead stuff. How much more can he do with us? I remember going last year through, uh, walking through a, a warehouse with all these granite slabs. Gorgeous colors, purples, blues, and, and, and silvers, and golds, and, and, and everyone you looked at looked so different. The natural formations of the minerals in the earth. And we dig it up, and we think we're something. We think we're all that. But it was God's masterpiece. Brothers and sisters, we have living souls inside of us. We have some of those same elements that those slabs have. We're a bunch of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, sulfur, all these different elements. But God has made us a, work, a workmanship, a poema, a work of art. So if that doesn't jazz you up this morning, I don't know what does. You might look in the mirror and see somebody who's tired, somebody who's depressed, somebody who's lonely, somebody who's struggling. But God sees you as a work of art. See, there is a time and a place to encourage the body. And you, and, you know, with the Bible, you've got to take both. The hard things and the, and the easy things. And this is beautiful. He created us before, beforehand to do good works. Now, isn't it so much better than when we do works ourselves? And I know, living in the world and then being a Christian, the things that I do, good works, are so much different. And they're so much more powerful than stuff I did, uh, good work, when I, when I didn't know the Lord. It had no meaning to it. It was just something to make me feel good. And this is the last step in the continuum. This is where we do the good works because now they mean something because God is behind it. He's empowering us. You see? Jesus said in John 15 that he was the vine and we are the branches. And if we're the branches, we must produce fruit. We must produce some spiritual fruit. Today's title is Before and After. We saw some awesome success stories on the slides, and I think they were pretty dramatic. But the Apostle Paul walked us into a really awesome before and after that really lasts through eternity. These things are cool, but those ladies and us, when we have our afters physically, these bodies will die. But the stuff that God does after will last millions and billions. Of, I don't think there's even time accounting in, in uh, heaven in eternity. It just keeps going. Initially, we're dead to God, but we become alive spiritually and escape judgment for sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. And because of that, we glorify his name. See, change in the world is a dirty word because our society teaches us, you, know, you just find the way you are. You just need to love yourself more. You need to do a makeover. You need to do this. You need to do that. However, Christians, we should embrace the word change because when we change, we grow. And when we grow, we mature. And when we mature and empty ourselves of ourselves and look, look more like Jesus, he can use us more. And that is a picture of holiness. Does it mean we don't sin? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that we're not the same person 5, 10, 15 years ago. And in a lot of it's retrospective. You know, we, as we start to grow in Christ, we realize that stuff that we used to do or used to say or used to believe or think 
we're starting to change. And why is that? Because we're connected to the vine, where all the nutrients are spiritually, where all the hydration is. Jesus, living, living waters, he said, torrents of living, living waters will, will flow out of you. That's impressive. So, <clears throat> my prayer is that we read what the Apostle Paul said, we apply it to ourselves in 2015, we desire the change, we desire to do the good works, and if you don't know the Lord, that you would hopefully now desire Him. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Every time I'm ready.